You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Welcome on this Mother's Day Sunday. And uh, I was in church last week, but of course we had a missionary speaking. And uh, I had just flown in uh, that weekend. Last weekend was the graduation of uh, my daughter Kimberly from college. And then I was gone the week before and we had a missionary. So I haven't preached now for two weeks. So I just saved up everything I wanted to say. Um, Get comfortable. No, I'm just kidding. I mentioned my daughter was uh, graduating and so... It's that time of year uh, when the school year's coming to an end, but also for uh, for me, uh, my two oldest children now are kind of fully entering adulthood, and it sort of makes you contemplate and evaluate uh, different things in your life, you know? And, and I'm like, man, how did those kids even survive, you know? That's, uh, who, who thought that would have happened? I was thinking about the message today, and I was thinking about uh, a time when uh, I've mentioned this before, but I was 18 years old when my father passed away, and uh, I remember early in, in the first year after he passed away, uh, my mom was there, my two younger brothers, and my mom decided that she needed at her house a shed, and so we went up uh, to the to the hardware place, and we bought a kit because I wasn't sure that I could just build a shed. I was pretty sure I couldn't build a shed. But we bought a kit, and we bought the lumber that went with the kit, and it had instructions. And I remember the anxiety, the nervousness that I had about building this shed for my mom. Because my father, if he would have been there, we would have been fine. He would have kept us from making too many mistakes, and I I knew that the completed product would have been adequate. That was not... I didn't have that assurance. And so I I know my brothers helped me, and I don't remember everything about the build. I remember for years afterwards, I would go in that shed, and I would see boards in there that weren't quite straight. The cuts weren't quite, the joints didn't meet quite up. But I also learned that if you put enough nails and screws into things, and my mom lived in that house for years, when she sold it, that shed was still standing. I thought about that because then I think about that day when my wife and I brought home our first child from the hospital. And it was the same feelings, only greater. What in the world am I doing? I mean, now we've got this. And, And unlike that kit, there's no instructions. And you can't just beat on it with a hammer so it's, until it's better. That, that, that doesn't work. And it's scary to think about raising kids and building a family. We want to jump off this morning on our Mother's Day message from Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 1. Proverbs 14 and verse number one says this, a wise woman builds her house. And of course, it's not talking about a physical home, especially in the day and times in which Proverbs was written, a woman wouldn't build a home. 
wouldn't build a house, but she does build a home. It says a wise woman builds, a ho- builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And so this morning, we want to look at what it means to build a wise home, a home that is found, founded on godly wisdom. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may be a mom, and you may have children, and so this message may have real direct application to you. But you might be here today and say, well, I'm, I'm practically a child myself. Listen, these applications from God's word can be used to build, a, to build a life on godly wisdom. You might be here and your kids might be gone, out of the house. That doesn't mean we don't need godly wisdom to know how to structure our life. And so I want us to look today from this, this verse in Proverbs about how a wise person, a wise mother specifically, builds a home, a home founded in God's wisdom. I have the privilege today of preaching, and my, 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 well, my wife is here, the mother of, of our three children, but also my mom is here. And uh, I, I thought about how to approach that, and I decided that I would let her off the hook, and no, I'm just kidding. The truth is, um, God blessed me and my two brothers with the mother that we have. A mom who loved the Lord, who loved us, and, and who, who provided for us a godly example. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about what is it, as we begin this message, what is it that your children remember you for? And specifically, as I thought about that this week, I thought about phrases. If you have children, you've probably had the experience of turning to your child and saying something to them and and feeling like it was your parent talking to them. Like you used the same phrase that your parents used on you and you might have used it to them and you're like, how did that happen? Or maybe you made it a point to never use the phrase that your parents used on you. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus Christ is teaching and he teaches there a parable about an unwise steward, uh, a person who was a servant but was managing the affairs of his owner. And the owner returned from a trip And in verse 48, Jesus Christ is teaching and he talks about this idea that the steward was not wise. And then the end of verse 48, he says this, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. That verse doesn't directly apply to our message today. I read it as a testimony of my mom, because if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. To whom much is given, much is required. And I'm like, I don't have that much. And she's like, well, much is required. And that's not the only phrase that I learned from my mom, but that is one that I was thinking of. What what, What would your children say 
they could never forget from you. So let's talk about how a wise woman builds her house. Number one, a wise woman builds her house with God's word. With God's word. Psalm 119 and verse 105, you probably know. 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But Psalm 119 is a song and it takes the alphabet and it uses each letter as kind of a jumping off point for a part of that psalm. And each, each of those sections of the letter corresponds to a specific subject. And in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 105, it deals with God's word and God's laws and God's precepts. And so I want to read that for you this morning, just that section of verses. Verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I've related to you even this morning that God gave me some godly parents, and I thank God for that. But my parents as good as they are, are not perfect. And, and there are still circumstances in my life that I have faced and that I will face that maybe my parents didn't cover. Things that they couldn't have anticipated. And so how do I guide myself through that? And what if you're in a circumstance where you don't have godly parents or you didn't have godly parents? How in the world are you gonna build a house on wisdom. How in the world are you going to navigate the affairs of this life? We can only do that through God's word. God gives us his word to light our path, to guide our feet. How do we know how to deal with the circumstances that come up in this life? God gives us his word and he gives us his wisdom through his word. Colossians chapter three and verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That idea of wisdom is so important. I've mentioned this before, but it literally means skill in living. Wisdom is the idea of knowing how to live your life well. Listen, God's word will give you wisdom on how to deal with your relationships. God's word will give you wisdom on how to deal with your finances. God's word will give you wisdom on how to make decisions, how to deal with conflict, how to be a good employee, how to be a good employer. 
God's word has wisdom for our life. It'll tell you how to be a good parent, how to be a good grandparent, how to be a good child. God's word provides for us wisdom. And we need to recognize the value of Scripture, and we need to to put it in our heart. Certainly there are times in our life where we face decisions or we face circumstances, and we begin to uh, search the Scriptures to try to find an answer. That's important. But I would challenge you that so much of the time we deal with circumstances in very real time and, and, and we may not in that moment have the time to turn and look to Scripture. We need to have Scripture within us. We need to be reading the Word, memorizing the Word so that God's Word is permeating everything in our life because then we're going to have the wisdom to know how to deal with your children right in that moment when they do that thing that just pushes your button and, and, and you think your head's gonna explode. Not, that that, not your children, but I mean other people's children, that could happen. <laughs> the pastor's kids, probably. A wise woman builds her house on God's word. Not only that, but a wise woman builds her house with prayer. First Samuel chapter one tells us the story of the origins of the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel, his mother Hannah, uh, could not have a child. And yearly she would go up to the temple, and 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12 says that it happened. She's there in the temple, and she's praying. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, who was the priest at that time, watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Here is this woman, and she is praying. And she's so focused on her conversation with God that she, she may not have even been aware that her lips were moving, uh, the, uh, the words that she's forming in her heart towards God in prayer, but her voice is not coming out. And apparently... That level of fervency in prayer was not common in the temple. So when the priest saw it, his thought was not, here is a woman consumed with a conversation with God Almighty. His thought was, that woman's been drinking. What an indictment about the people of God. That the priest would see a woman consumed in prayer and think she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Maybe that was the more common occurrence in the temple. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And God gave Hannah, a son. 
She named him Samuel, and he was a great prophet in the nation of Israel. She gave him back to God. As a matter of fact, as a young boy, Samuel went to the temple and served Eli. But here is a woman who is pouring her heart out to God. She says, out of my grief, out of my complaint, out of my burdens, I am laying these before God. And a wise woman builds her house in prayer. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God comes to David who has become king. And he makes to David a promise. He says, listen, I am going to allow your, uh, your ancestors to occupy the throne of Israel. As long as they will follow me, they will be on the throne. And, and part of this promise that David didn't fully understand was that from his ancestry would come not just a one who sat on the, the throne as the king of, of Israel, but the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself. But then David, uh, in response to the promise of God, prays this prayer in 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 28. And he says, And now, O Lord, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you, for, may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be pleased forever. You want to pray something for your family? Pray 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. God, let my family serve you forever. God, let my family be a heritage to you. A wise woman builds her house in prayer. On God's word, in prayer, and then a wise woman builds her house in the church. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Hebrews verse, chapter 10 verses 23 and 24 first says, listen, we need to not waver. We need to be secure in what we believe because this world is gonna blow us. This world is going to try to knock us off course, but we need to not waver. And then he says, we need to stir up one another to good works. We need to encourage one another, challenge one another. And then verse 25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, I recognize that we live in a day and an age in which we are incredibly busy. As a pastor, I know that, that even this morning, we've got people who are traveling, people that are dealing with sickness, people that are not here for a variety of reasons. But I just want to encourage you with the importance of the local church. Listen, Jesus Christ died for the church. The church provides a place for your family where they can be encouraged, 
where they can see other families that, that have similar beliefs and foundations in their life, where you can be encouraged in the struggles that you face with your children, with your grandchildren, at your work. The church is to be that place. And you might say, well, preacher, the church is not perfect. Listen, I can promise you the church is not perfect. But the church is a miracle. Because for 2,000 years, God has used the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, 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 to assault the forces of hell, to see lives changed, families transformed. And I know how imperfect the church is. So how could God use a group of imperfect people to accomplish those goals? Only through the power of God. That's the miracle of the church. The miracle of the church is that a bunch of imperfect people can gather together and God can use that to be a light in their community. And Hebrews 10.25 says that your habit ought to be more faithful in the church. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Not less. Not, well, you know, my kids are grown, so I think I'm just going to sit back a little bit. Not, well, you know, I've done that church thing for quite a while, but I'm just taking a break right now. When I was in Bible college, I used to have a professor, and he would say on many occasions, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Think about that. If you don't pass along the values and, and, and a love for Jesus Christ in your children, then how will it get passed to your grandchildren? How will it get passed to their children? The church provides a protection, an opportunity, an encouragement. And a wise woman builds her home, her house, and church. Titus chapter two, beginning in verse number one, says this, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. You know the context of Titus chapter two? Paul, the apostle, is writing to his protege, Titus, who he sent to the island of Crete to encourage that church there. And Crete was a rough place. Read Titus chapter one, where Paul's encouraging Titus and he says, look, even their own poets say that, that the, the Cretans are, are, they're lazy and they're gluttonous. And you know what? It's true. I mean, when Paul said to Titus, this is a rough place, he's like, I get it. The main reason that Paul wrote a letter to Titus was to encourage him to stay because he wanted to be done. And so you can imagine the people that are in the church at Crete. What are their family backgrounds? 
What are their backgrounds? What are their reputations? What are their histories? But he says, look, here's how the older men need to act. Here's how the older women need to act. And they need to teach the younger women. I recognize that on Mother's Day, we're talking a lot about family. And I'm referencing my own family. But as a church, we need to be a family. We have people that are here this morning that they have no idea about what it means to grow up in a Christian home. Matter of fact, it's an obstacle to say God the Father because the only image of a father that they had is either absent or abusive. And yet God desires to, to, to have them build homes with godly wisdom. And that's not just through Scripture. They need people to come alongside them. We've got people here who you, you, you don't have kids at home anymore, but you could be a mentor to a young mother or to a young father. You can share with them experiences of your life, even mistakes that you've made. And in the rough and tumble world of Crete, Paul lays out this plan to Titus and says the church should be a place where godly wisdom is not just taught, but it's caught. It's seen, and it's learned by example. A wise woman also builds her house in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 13 says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Moms, the number one thing you can do for your kids is love your husband. Love your husband. If you're married today, you need to love your husband. Even when he's unlovable. That doesn't mean you need to stay in situations you shouldn't be in, but you need to seek to love your husband. Husbands, you need to love your wives. You're not getting off the hook. It's, I know it's not Father's Day, but... You need to love your children. Even when they're unlovable. Not that they're ever unlovable, but just if they were. Listen, growing up, I, I, I doubted sometimes whether my parents liked me, but I knew they always loved me. Later I had kids and I understood. We need to love our kids. Proverbs 3 and verse 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the father, the son in whom he delights. Loving your kids doesn't mean not correcting them. Matter of fact, sometimes love means correcting them. Sometimes love means making some hard choices about the consequences of their actions. I'll move on. We need to love fellow believers. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 1 says, The wise woman builds her house. The wise woman builds her house with God's word. 
with prayer, in the church, and with love. But Proverbs 14.1 also says, the foolish pulls it down with their hands. I just want to give you a couple of things as we close this morning, and they're in your notes, and so I would encourage you to think about them. But a foolish woman pulls down her house when she demonstrates the wrong attitude. Maybe this isn't a good illustration, but I'll use it anyway. And just yesterday, I went to a football game of one of my nephews. Didn't make it to halftime. One, because a kid got injured, which was unfortunate. But two, because the parents were out of control. Out of control. And you got young men playing football. They should be being taught character. And what they're being taught is that this stupid game is, is, is so important that you can lose your mind, lose your principles, lose your testimony. And frankly, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. What attitude are you modeling for your children? Man, I watched two guys almost go to blows because they were trying to parallel park their cars. What are we teaching our children? And you say, I, I, I hear you, preacher. It's crazy out there. But then you're in line and someone cuts in front of you, or you're driving and some idiot does whatever, I'm sure you're not that way. I'm just telling you sometimes the way I am. What kind of attitude am I modeling for my children? Not only that, she can destroy her husband's influence. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're married and you've got children, you need to present a united front in the way you're raising those kids. If you've got disagreements and you need to talk about that and resolve that, but you can't show that to your kids. I'm not talking about being fake, but you can't let your children play one another, play mom and dad against each other. You can't do that. You have to figure out how to get on the same page. Now, you might be in a situation where maybe you're in a divorce situation. Maybe you're in another situation. Listen, I want to encourage you. Don't talk bad about your children's mother or father. They might be bad. Let your kids figure that out. Don't destroy your children's opinion of their mother or their father by the words that you say and the actions that you, that you take place. Your kids are going to grow up and they're going to figure out what the truth is. You don't have to tell them. Not only that, she can defame her church. We talked about the importance of church. Listen, I recognize that every message that goes forth from me as a pastor for on Sunday mornings, it might not be the gem that's just gonna get you through the week. Some weeks, clunkers. I get it. Some weeks are better than others. You might be like, there's a lot of clunkers, preacher. Okay. 
But you know what? I would just challenge you. Maybe you go home and sit around the table and talk about how bad the pastor is. And I don't say this because I'm the pastor. What are you doing for your children? How is that influencing what they think about the authority of the church and the importance of the church in their life? If all they ever hear is the negative of church, you think when they're old enough to be on their own, they're going to see the importance of going to church? Why would they invite their friends to hear the gospel if you're just running down the church? All right, I'll move on. She can also defy God's instruction. How does a woman tear down her house? How does a mother or a father tear down the values that they're trying to instill? Are you living your life according to Scripture? Or do you use Scripture when it's convenient for you with your, with your children and then live a lifestyle that is against God's Word? You can't say to your children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, and then turn around and do things that are, that are against God's Word. Not that you will never make a mistake, but if you live a lifestyle that is consistently against Scripture, then don't be surprised when your children don't see any value in Scripture in their life. And in all of those things, we can do tremendous damage to the souls of our children. Here's the good news. We have God's word. We have the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. We can have the love of Christ within us. And even as imperfect as it is, we have the church. Listen, I, I told you that I'm in this place in my life where I'm kind of looking back. Man, I can think of times when as a father, I messed up royally. I can think of times when I was unloving to my kids. I can think of times when, when I didn't set the right example to my children. And by God's grace, Man, I've got kids that love the Lord, that are seeking to serve him. And I don't say that in a prideful way. I, I'm kind of amazed myself. I mean, their mom's great, but how did we end up there? You know what? Through the blessings of God. I thank God that, that God has given me children that are beyond what I think I, I probably did a job of raising them. That only comes through God. And so I recognize this morning that it's hard being a parent. But God has given us some tools to use to build a house in his wisdom, to build a home through his word, in his love, enveloped in prayer, encouraged by the church, let us use these principles to build our homes, our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Dear God,
Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. God, I thank you that we can celebrate this Mother's Day. Lord, I thank you for my wife, the mother of my kids, and what a blessing she is to me and to my children. God, I thank you for my own mom. Lord, I pray that you would raise up at Belmar Church men and women who would set a legacy of faith in the life of their children, their grandchildren, and in generations to come. Use us, God, to be your church in that way. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.